Welcome to a podcast on fire on when Taekwondo strikes and heroes of the East. And this is part of our ongoing series of, if you will, movie versus movie, theme and content versus theme and content, the versus series. And uh, as suggested by listener and pop historian Jay Lee, we turn to the often used notion of making Japanese the enemy of the Kung Fu, Kung Fu piece. It was a crappy Kung Fu picture, I guess it's Kung Fu, but a Kung piece uh, those are occupied by Japanese characters uh, more often than not whether it's Fist of Fury or any other movies but uh, these are the ones we have lined up for review Golden Harvest's 1973 Angela Mao movie when Taekwondo strikes and she might take your head off fighting off the side of the Korean people that's the ferocity Angela brings and also Chinese versus Japanese martial arts in a more nuanced way than you might expect exists in Heroes of the East Actually, you should expect it because it is from director Lau Garlung and uh, the movie is uh, that very uh, 1978 production from Shaw Brothers. And my name is Kenny B and with me, and, uh, not so much to crown a winner, but to compare how these movies dealt with the Japanese versus Chinese uh, angle inside of it all, is uh, Paul Fox of the East Screen West Screen Podcast. Good morning, buddy. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here and happy to talk about these films. Yeah, the, this, uh, the, these were good choices. I think Jay left me either Hapkido or When Taekwondo Strikes versus Heroes of the East. And you, you could have went with either or. I picked the former because um, I had it available. But uh, certainly Hapkido is, uh, is a memorable one as well with, uh, with a Korean angle uh, too. So, uh, uh, But uh, we'll, um, we'll uh, get into it. Uh, were both rewatches uh, for you or was uh, When Taekwondo Strikes a first time thing for you? When Taekwondo Strikes, uh, say that three times fast. It was a first-time watch for me. I, I know it had existed out there among the uh, Angela Mao filmography. It was just one that I never got around to watching, in part because of the kind of scattered availability on it. Yeah, you, you never saw it uh, flicking through the Joy Sales DVDs back in the day when uh, those were um, littered around Hong Kong? It might have been among them for a bit, um, along with films like, I want to say, The Himalayan and um, some others. But uh, some of those titles tended to dry up rather quickly. And a lot of times I was focusing on other things and I'd be like, oh, I'll get back to it. I'll get I'm back gonna to it. I'm going to complete Not- the George Lamb, Carol Chang sort of rom-com yes, triple movie exactly. kind of deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's and you, and, exactly. And, and by the way, you're a hero of mine for keeping track of those hearts, two hearts, hearts into hearts, hearts taken out of hearts, heart surgery type of movies. I can't <laughs> keep track of the George Lamb, Carol Chang, DMB rom-coms. Uh, I think there were three of them. But I might be wrong. But I enjoyed them, I think. Yes. Um, the three plus some additional ones that they made outside of that series together. But yeah, I, you know, my thinking was for the stuff that I, w- I, w- I was going for, the stuff I was really interested in at the time. And I always thought, OK, I'll go back for um, some of the titles that I want to get to later. And But they dried up really quickly, a lot of them, and became very, very readily unavailable and very rare. And sometimes you can find them on eBay occasionally for um, exorbitant prices now. And in some cases, uh, I never found them at all. Um, one, one of the films that maybe I'll mention when we get a little bit further into it is an Angelo, Angela Mao uh, cameo film that I found only available. It's listed on their, you know, the, the Joy Sales uh, database as one of the releases that came out. But I only have a number for it as a VCD. But it's available on, um, 
Yoku with uh, Chinese in Mandarin dub with Chinese subtitles only, and it looks like a very high quality print. So, and it's got that you know Fortune Star logo on, attached on the front. So there are titles that are part of that you know, that series that got released seemingly that I never saw on the shelves at all that um, exist out there. But it's you know finding them with English subtitles is almost impossible. Was that the movie Naughty Naughty that you told me? Yes. That you, so, so you did watch it uh, in with those specs? Uh, yes, correct, yes. Maybe it's not that hard to understand. Like, It's a low-way movie, super boring, waiting <laughs> for Angela Mao. That's all I need to know. <laughs> uh, but uh, indeed, let's uh, get into it then and um, uh, talk of uh, Paul's uh, uh, first-time experience uh, watching uh, When Taekwondo Strikes or Sting of the Dragon Masters. Which is half a cool title, you know. It's a, a, a dragon thing persisted through the decades. Uh, well, you know, when you got to the nineties, uh, every U.S. retitle of a Jet Li movie, it seems like uh, was a dragon something, and uh, it became uh, hard to distinguish them. Uh, you know, uh, my father is a hero. I'm sure it was uh, entitled like Dragon from Shaolin or something. <laughs> well, I hope not. It's a Sam Lee movie, right? Uh, Dragon from Shaolin, I think is... No, Dragon uh, from Russia, sorry. Yeah, exactly, and uh, Dragon from Shaolin is a Yun Bu movie, as a matter of fact, too, which I haven't seen. Uh, I, I can't keep track of the hot scene to hot hot surgery movies, but I can't keep track of <laughs> Dragon from Shaolin, a Yun Bu movie that isn't very well regarded. I don't think I've seen it either, but I know of it. Fancy how things work. Anyway, let's uh, get into it, uh, but uh, leave some contact information first of all, and this is Podcast on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network. We have a little sub-series going on here that I've dubbed, uh, for now anyway, the Versus um, series. Uh, you can find the episode on Skyhawk and Master of Kung Fu, which uh, focused on Wong Fei Hong, uh, under that tag on our website, podcastonfire.com. And of course, the back catalogue of Podcast on Fire episodes, uh, where we talk of uh, Hong Kong movies, new and old, every now and again, some uh, Chinese movies uh, of uh, note. I've talked, uh, done solo chats on Operation Red Sea and the likes, so uh, maybe in the future I'll do some more. Um, I don't know where we um, when it hits a, a disc. Uh, maybe you and I should get together to talk of um, uh, Nesha, the, the latest uh, animated uh, Nesha movie, which uh, has been done as uh, Nacha the Great before and Nacha the Seven Devils, blah blah blah. And uh, Paul is an aficionado of the franchise and got to watch that on the big screen not too long ago. A uh, big old Chinese animated blockbuster that has took in that unbelievable amount of money. I don't know if it has taken in wolf warrior 2 operation red sea money yet but it certainly got distribution quick both to the uk and the us so i might as well throw over to paul uh was it uh, fun attending uh that screening of the latest uh big adventure of a character that you uh, know a thing or two about from watching movies at the very least yeah it was i was a little bit hesitant at first um because some of the initial you know character designs and and trailers that i saw for it i wasn't real keen on um, what they did, but actually they paid some really nice attention and added some loving detail as homages back to the uh, 70s film, um, the animated 70s film, which we've talked about previously, um, which I love to death. And I came away really loving this film a lot. I think it's on par with um, any of the Kung Fu Panda films in terms of storytelling and quality. And uh, it's unfortunate that it didn't get a wider release. I mean, you know, we don't get a lot where in the area I'm at, but it was a an IMAX 3D only release. Um, and it's too bad that they didn't market this out there because I think, you know, with an English dub, which may or may not come later, um, kids would have a lot of fun with this. I took my daughter 
And, um, you know, she's not fluent in, in Mandarin, but she can get by with a little bit and read the subtitles now. So she had great fun with it, too. You're going to rely on her in like a year or two for the Mandarin translations because she, she's going to get better than you. Yes, she's already better than me. So like, What was that Stephen Chow joke? Can you explain the intricacies of me? Okay, dad. <laughs> it's a poo-poo joke. What do you want from me? Uh, cool. Well, that, that's going to hit a disc uh, sometime soon in America. It's handled by Wellgo and uh, they don't stop at cinematic releases only. And hopefully the same will be true for the UK because it received... Uh, uh, screenings there via Cine Asia, I believe. So um, we have at any uh, rate uh, a back catalog of uh, episodes on Japanese cinema and Korean cinema. We talk sleazy movies every now and again. We recently released an episode on classy sleazy movies from the minds of women. God, that sounded wrong, but the reason I'm saying that from the minds of women, they are nasty little pieces of work. Especially we talk dumplings from author Lillian Lee originally, and dumplings, as you all know, hopefully, is a nasty little piece of work. Uh, involving uh, eating uh, fetuses, eating uh, boarded babies. So that's from Lillian Lee's uh, mind. And we also talk Temptation of a Monk, which is also one of her novels. So uh, it was a Slee's episode that um, contained classy award-winning cinema from uh, from female filmmakers and makers. And Dumplings is, of course, by Fruit Chan. Check that out in our archive if you have any questions or feedback. Uh, did you like uh, when Taekwondo strikes? What's your favorite Angela Mao movie? Did you like Heroes of the East and so forth? You can email us about all that and more. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. Follow us, follow us on social media as well. The uh, button at the top of our website leads to our page that you can like. Uh, it's a like in support. We would very much appreciate it. Type in Podcast on Fire Network on Facebook and you'll reach our discussion group where we'll post uh, show updates and discussions and polls and uh, pretty pictures to click on and uh, no arguments whatsoever so um, we'll keep it uh, nice and clean and uh, all of that also click the twitter button at the top of our website to access our twitter feed and uh, i also write about by the way about hong kong and taiwanese movies on my site so goodreviews.com i post uh, video reviews on sleazyk.video.com not sleazy as such anymore i can't post the category free movie reviews as such anymore so i'll i just post uh, the crazy taiwanese stuff and uh, maybe category free movies that don't feature nudity as, as such so um it's uh, not as sleazy k anymore but it's sleazy k nonetheless in existence and all of that and my uh, twitter feed is available too it's at so good reviews uh, paul fox uh, you you don't do the podcast currently but uh, I'll, i will never stop mentioning the fact that you have a uh, full nuanced informative archive of uh, podcasts over on your uh, site and it's going to hopefully stay that way uh, you know uh, you're not going to take it offline that archive of shows so uh, if you like would you like to plug your uh, your show um, despite it being not active currently uh, sure it is uh, east screen west screen and you can find us over at uh, concast.com and we have a little listener here who wants to say hello to uncle kenneth you say hello hello uncle kenneth Uncle Kenneth, not Uncle Kenneth. Yeah, that's good enough. Good morning, little one. Did you like the Naya movie? Remember we watched the Naya movie? Yeah. Did you like it? Yeah. What was your favorite part? Do you remember? Mm-hmm. No? Okay. Go have your breakfast, okay? Yeah. Say bye-bye. 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 As good of a memory as I have, really. What was your favorite <laughs> part? I had no idea what just happened. <laughs> I saw pretty colors, and then there was some meaning, I think, and the end. This has been a Shaw Brothers production, <laughs> so that's uh, that's uh, uh, that's how I work it at my age. So 
At any rate, we're going to take a musical break, and uh, after that, uh, we'll be back to discuss the first movie of this versus episode, and it is When Taekwondo Strikes. It's our first review of uh, when Japanese are the enemies of the main characters, if you will, but uh, it's not as uh, clear-cut as that, as uh, you'll find out, especially in the second review. But first of all, is uh, uh, coming up is our review of When Taekwondo Strikes from 1973, and we'll be right back. And welcome back, and the first review of this versus episode is, as we said, When Taekwondo Strikes from 1973. Uh, what a wonderful, sort of uh, punchy title, literally. And a plot from the Far East Films review of the film, after discovering a Korean patriot, played by Carter Wong, who refuses to bow to the invading authorities. A gang of tyrannical Japanese fighters corner him in a church and look... Uh, uh, they are uh, they are gonna kill him. They are ready to kill him. However, the Western priest, played by Andre Morgan, steps in and, uh, with the help of his uh, Taekwondo fighting uh, fighting fighter niece Mary, played by Anne Winton, they manage to force uh, the Japanese invaders out of the church. While the Japanese are regrouping for another attack on it, uh, the priest's uh, Korean gardener reveals himself to be famed patriot Lee Chung Ting. And he's played by June Rhee. More on him in a minute. Uh, he has been planning his next attack on the resident uh, powers under this, uh, this disguise, if you will. Before the aggressors can return, the original Korean a fugitive along with Lee Chung Ting and uh, sympathizer Mary flee the scene and meet up with Chinese fighter Wan, played by Angela Mao. The new team continue to evade the Japanese in the area until the priest is captured and tortured for information. Knowing that he owes the priest a significant debt for saving his life, uh, Lee Chung Ting decides to journey to the prison and free his loyal friend, the priest. Vinsu in battle though sees Lee's captured by the enemy and now in a, in a similar position to the one he tried to save. Hearing of the dreadful outcome of the fight, the Korean patriots uh, and their new Chinese uh, Chinese alliance must now decide uh, whether they should attempt to rescue Lee or continue the anti-Japanese movement elsewhere. So, it's also known, as we said, as Sting of the Dragon Masters. Uh, this movie and it is from Golden Harvest and uh, their familiar faces behind and in front of the camera or kind of all uh, all present here, uh, in particular the faces uh, of this period. Uh, director Wong Fung kicked off the output uh, from Golden Harvest uh, in 1971 with the Wuxia Call Angry River, starring Angela Mao, and the company were little busy bees, uh, producing 20-plus uh, movies already by the time uh, when Taekwondo Strikes came around. And during that time they had put uh, Bruce Lee in a couple of movies, and he had put, as a result of all of this, uh, Golden Harvest on the map. And despite being a production company with decidedly less means versus Shaw Brothers especially, they were competing with them and eventually in the 80s they kind of overtook the throne after the Shaw Brothers style fell out of favor. Uh, they were also, uh, as I said, uh, rotating uh, stars and performers and other examples of that included Jimmy Wang Yu. He also had a young Sammo Hong here that was working uh, as both uh, on-screen talent in uh, various big and small roles. And he was also their sort of in-house 
action uh, director and obviously he would eventually steer his own filmmaking path working for Golden Harvest uh, by the time the late 70s uh, came around but but of course you have Carter Wong and Angela Mao here and they were faces uh, from the get-go as well from uh, from the company and uh, off note uh, casting wise because it was his only film is uh, the appearance of uh, Grandmaster Jun Ri, who was a South Korean master of Taekwondo and is uh, known and recognized as the father of American Taekwondo, taekwondo as he started introducing the art in the country in the 1950s. Uh, he was friends with Bruce Lee, who apparently taught uh, Ri this fast, almost unblockable punch that Ri in turn dubbed the Punch. Uh, he opened his first uh, martial arts studio in 1962 and then expanded that to 11 schools over time in uh, Washington, D.C. specifically. When uh, Taekwondo Strikes was his only film credit, and um, but, but, but he kept busy, you know, he, uh, he entered circles, if you will. He was a reliable uh, person to trust. Uh, he was a good teacher and even characters, uh, people like uh, Muhammad Ali. Uh, had him um, had him coach him for a couple of fights in the 70s uh, uh, but uh, he remained in Washington DC June Rhee and uh, he, he never so, sort of fell out of favor because he, he was always uh, visible to some degree and uh, in particular a TV commercial helped his exposure that had his daughter apparently saying the catchphrase nobody bothers me followed by his son saying nobody bothers me either so, which sounds very threatening but I'm sure it was <laughs> I'm sure it was a cute little commercial back in the day in 2000, Ri was uh, the only Korean-American uh, named amongst the 203 most recognized immigrants to the country by the National Immigrant Forum and the Immigration and Naturalization Services. And eventually he was also inducted into the Taekwondo Hall of Fame in 2007. And uh, his, his status, therefore, you know, lives on. And uh, as a pioneer, all that lives on. And uh, he passed away... Uh, quite recently it's 2019 now and he passed away last year in april at the age of 86 had had at all any interest in 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 him did you know of him by picking up sort of appearances in in on tv and the likes or this was your education to to junery no this was my introduction to him and i mean i studied a little bit of taekwondo when i was a lad too um, but uh, never came across any any mention of him at all, um, which is interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I'm guessing if you're somebody who studies the uh, unblockable punch, you know, the acupunch, and you become a master in that style, what do they call you? I don't know. Acupuncture. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but I'm bummed. <laughs> it's early in the morning for Paul, and he's uh, coming up with gold <laughs> right here. I'm here in the afternoon. I don't know. Boobs. No. <laughs> Sorry. Well, 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 when you got it in you, you should follow that creative instinct and deliver it. And so you did. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on, on to the movie. And uh, I'll throw it over to Paul for some brief uh, opinions, first of all, of uh, when Taekwondo strikes. So what did you think of this uh, punchy affair? So, wow, it was just pretty surprising. Um, it's I, Again, it's one that's kind of been on the radar a little bit. But it's not one that I've heard widely talked about in in circles as, you know, a a must-see film. So uh, somehow this has just kind of flown under my radar for a while. It's a very interesting cast mix, to be sure, um, because you have, you know, sort of this international cast, um, which I I wasn't expecting going in. I kind of thought, okay, this is going to be standard sort of Angela Malfair, you know, she's going to get bullied a bit and then she's going to go kick butt and take names. 
which is kind of the plot, um, but uh, they weave in there some different aspects, um, the one being sort of the the idea of a, a Korean resistance against Japanese oppression as opposed to the standard um, uh, Chinese resistance that you see in a lot of films. As a result, it tells a very interesting tale. But at the same time, I do think the plot points are kind of typical for the genre um, because you do, I mean, it where you get to and how you get there by the end, you see that same kind of thing in other films that sort of, again, depict Japanese occupation, Japanese as colonizers, uh, Japanese treating the local population badly and and some young warriors or martial artists coming up to to stand up to them, right? We've seen this in, you know, Bruce Lee's done this. Um, countless other Shaw films have kind of um, tapped into this as well. And it's, you know, it's come back into vogue too with, um, you know, uh, the big name of the day, which is uh, Master Donnie Yen, right? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I haven't followed that series since the first ones. So I don't know how typical they became the Ip Man movies uh, because I, I remember appreciating the Ip Man movies for solid dramatic handling of uh, and, and the acting really. Uh, but I don't know if they became too much according to template when it came to the stories of uh, Ip Man 2 and 3. Well, the later ones get, get away from that, but the, really the first one is where you know you have that that idea of the. Um you know, the, the Japanese occupiers and kind of being a little bit two-dimensional as villains. Um, and then, of, of course, he gets back into it a little bit with the return of Chen Zen as well. Here, it's really nice to see him uh, or, or see the the crew here kind of let some other people kind of take the front, even though I would say this is still a, kind of an Angela Mao-led film. It's it's not simply her story, so I think that's interesting. Did did you ever see Hapkido? Uh, I think I've seen it a long time ago, but the the memory of it is very very vague. Which is you know uh, could have been the choice for this episode as well. Same cast and crew and um, some kick ass stuff. I don't remember if uh, the story was more riveting or less riveting, but it left an imprint and. Uh, Wang in sick played a good guy in that one, which was uh, always nice. He's a bad guy here, and then later in Young Master and Dragon Lord. Uh, but uh, regardless, uh, for uh, for me, uh, it it needs to literally punch through and uh, using his action because it, it isn't a riveting story. But having said that, it is mildly interested in executing the, this basic story, so we understand where the loud, raw, gritty fighting on screen featuring a plethora of these very compelling screen fighters. We, we, if the story is basic and um, understandable and dramatic to a basic degree, then we we understand how these things work together. And I appreciated that it uh, that it did focus on uh, a story a little bit more, even, even though it understands full well that it is a kung fu movie. And it's in that intensity and, uh, I guess, fury to a degree that Angela Mao can bring and and company, but Angela Mouse that stands out. That is elements that add up to a very entertaining kung fu movie, uh, and it delivers where it uh, where it counts. But it's not a trek and wait to get uh, through, you know, uh, the talky talky stuff before the kicky kicky stuff. So um, yeah, so it was easy to appreciate in that way. Uh, I, I, I've seen it once or twice before, once cropped, and it's a uh, you don't consider these movies like these uh, well framed widescreen movies 
but this movie is super widescreen at points. They they have characters at the very left of frame and the very right of frame having conversations sometimes. And you can just imagine the cropping that either would be center cropped or they just had to pick one side to focus on and then do the artificial panning and scanning or maybe not even that. So the, this movie, when I first saw it cropped, it felt like it. So much missing, like half of it missing. And widescreen really was a revelation. Um, it doesn't waste any time setting up its uh, Japanese villains, which of course are played by Chinese actors. Uh, chief among them, really, uh, uh, with an added moustache um, to add the Japanese flavor, I suppose, uh, Chin Yutsang. And of course, uh, Sama Hong can be seen as uh, uh, very, uh, with a lovely sort of uh, long, long, flowy haircut almost. Uh, yeah, and he's got those like crayon Shin Chan style eyebrows going. <laughs> he was uh, way more Japanese in the in the King Who movie, uh, the Valiant ones. Uh, they uh, they had like uh, a particular makeup on him as well, uh, which but uh, he still still looks striking. And uh, Sam Hung is Sam Hung. Uh, so it's coming from a period, Paul, where Kung Fu wasn't necessarily soft and graceful and uh, timid. You could almost uh, translate this loudness and this rawness and these beatings that are equal gritty into what uh, is often referred to as the basher within the Kung Fu, uh, you know, literally sort of gritty fighting. And uh, it's something I appreciate a lot, uh, not because I can decipher techniques, whether they are soft and graceful or hard and gritty, but... This period of the 70s with the loud and uh, hard and punchy Kung Fu, especially coming from Angela Mao and the likes, it's really almost per default very compelling, this uh, power that uh, that they can bring. And uh, just throw over to you, is that something you, you ever like consciously made note of? Aha, it's a basher, it's a, it's a louder one, it's a raw one, it's a more gritty one, and uh, that movie wasn't. Or how was your sort of Kung Fu experience and interpretation of <laughs> what goes on here i suppose i think yeah i think it's indicative of the era to be sure that you know this kind of martial arts and not just in terms of the styles they're using but almost uh the presentation and the sound engineering that goes along with it um it's very recognizable as kind of you know 70s period and i think as you watch films going on into the 80s and you start to see other directors and, and even sammo hung uh, himself come into the fore as, as a not just an action director but a director himself that 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 stylistic element of the 70s really starts to change it, it, it was actually a censorship issue after a while as well um i heard that uh, filmmakers uh, were gonna get some some stuff removed from their movies if it appeared this raw and loud so you can even mm. spot that sound effects get lower or, or removed and changed to something else. It was about impact and, sens- and senses are objected to the impact sometimes. Uh, it, it doesn't have to do with blood uh, all the time, but uh, this uh, loud impact. And you, you can see it in Shaw Brothers movies as well, that things seemed to change in that regard. But but also styles change within decades anyway sometimes. Um, and uh, so that probably played a part in it uh, as well, as you described with, uh, with uh, Sam moving forward and then kung fu comedy hitting later in the later in the decade because uh, we, we're not in that era yet where comedy is is the norm in between uh, in between all the fighty kicky punchy stuff i also read just recently really the reason why 
a Korean angle can be spotted in um, a couple of movies is that uh, Golden Harvest had uh, their director and some casting crew actually sent to Korea but in the early 70s both to do location scouting but they also trained actors uh, in uh, Taekwondo and Hapkido just to have them I don't, I don't know exposed to something else and trying to gain inspiration by doing so and in turn that made filmmakers of like spot uh, Wang Jiang Li and Wang Yin Shik for uh, for future movies. So, you know, Wang Yin Shik was put in Golden Harvest movies early. Wang Jiang Li became a bigger star in Hong Kong as the director um, as the decade um, around. You know, from Secret Rivals, sometimes Snake and Eagle, Shadow, and onwards. So it's really that sort of trip or several trips for Golden Harvest that triggered this Korean story angle too. So it's a it's a nice way for us to also get some different landscapes for these uh, kung fu movies having said that it didn't look to me necessarily that this was shot in korea it, it has that architecture those standing locations that suggests macau or do you have any take on that in terms of location i i really couldn't pin it down um and i mean I, I, a good portion of it too is you know very much enclosed sets you have you know tea houses and uh schools and things um but there is some outside locations and i it it was difficult to to see exactly where that might have been done but a bit it felt like a nice mixture for me of studio bound and also location shooting even though it's not massive in scope or anything with massive amounts of extras so it, it keeps to these characters and uh, you know they might have built a church and they might might not have built a church but uh, the the church scene certainly brings in the fact that uh, director Wong Fung and the crew they are going to rely on uh, the casting of westerners both for dramatic purposes and for action purposes so did you have any um, impressions of uh, when you see Andre Morgan uh, as the priest and then and Winton as Mary, which is a subtle name to give uh, to someone who's in a church. But, you know, was that surprising to see them featured so heavily, dramatically and action-wise, these two? It was, and part of me wonders if, you know, this in this era where we're looking at uh, just a couple years after Bruce Lee's debut with The Big Boss and wondering if that, you know, this was their attempt to try and you know, again, bring in more of an international cast to do something a little bit different, to try and present something a little bit different, um, rather than just, you know, being another sort of clone of um, something that had, had already been done. So it was, it was, like I said, it was surprising to see so much screen time, you know, given to given to them and also to um, uh, Master Junri. But I think that it works, you know, on some levels, because it's, it's not something you see all the time. So, it, you know, it, it keeps it kept my interest going forward. Again, even though I said, as I said, the, you kind of know where the, the, the plot beats are going to end up going. But, but it was really nice to see her feature to the degree that she was because she clearly can keep up with, um, I, I believe she has both a Faisi with Chin Yutsang and Samo Hong as well. And she admirably keeps up without Samo, who was the co-action director, without him having to resort to doubles or simplify it and hold back the power because Sam's choreography albeit slightly soft and rehearsed at points you know stuntman waiting to do a flip and into a table but it otherwise it, it appears with power in the way that you would associate with 
Sammo throughout the decade. And to see him choreograph various fights featuring Anne Winton, she has two or three fight scenes, it, it looks good on her. Obviously, she's able, she has martial arts background, and to uh, take the time. And Golden Harvest also taking the time to feature her was quite wonderful. So it's not like this one-note cast where we're waiting for Angela Mao to do something or waiting for Carter Wong to do something. But there's essentially you know three or four characters uh, that uh, get to shine in their own respective way. And I'm sure that's common if I were to do research. But talking about it, I don't feel it's... I, I don't leave movies that often with an impression that so many characters got a chance to express themselves to that degree and be sort of a crucial part of it all. But regardless if this is a one in a mil- uh, of millions of examples, it was it was simply nice to see uh, the power on display here. And it's uh, Samos sort of uh, brand and Golden Harvest trusted Samos brand of of action too. It was not specialized in weird in 1973 and would only grow relevant by 1978 or whatever <laughs> you know uh, sam, sam was uh, uh, operating at a level that um, that's respectable and then some you know and it's too bad we don't have in-depth behind the scenes making of specials for this period of film i mean it would have been interesting to see him working with ann winton and if he ever approached her and said i'm really gonna hit you so be prepared right <laughs> yep. it, it is one of my favorite quotes from uh, Mark Houghton back in the day I saw an interview with him early in the day uh, where he talked of making Skinny Tiger Fatty Dragon for and with Samohon and so Samohon literally said that I'm going to punch you in the face and Mark was a veteran by that point so he knew the game but he simply well that's that's what's going to look good and Samohon knows (laughs) what Samohon knows best is power so I'm I'm just going to take it I guess and so he he never came off as this um, you know, bully and tyrant. I mean, there's been plenty of voices who sort of decipher Samos movies and wonder why he features so much violence against women and everybody. But uh, you know, that's a discussion for another day. Uh, he he puts everyone through through uh, torture in a way, and uh, people are happy to do to do so. Andrew Morgan, by the way, he was uh, he's as the priest. He started out as this. Um, intern at golden harvest he subtitled films and then he rose to you know in the ranks he was assistant marketing manager he was then vice president of international operations and he was a producer and finally he was partner and ceo of the company so um he uh, he was um, in and around golden harvest and uh, one of the western voices and characters that helped um, steer the company which is um which is all uh, cool, uh, cool to see. I don't know if he did many movies outside of this, uh, but uh, I'm sure he's got modern. He's got modern credits as a producer on things like China Strike Force, um, and uh, Andy Lau's The Warlords from 2007. So he seems to still, you know, be active in some way, shape, or form, uh, at least behind the scenes. Uh, June Rihu, of course, uh, that that would be like a. Uh... So something to market the movie on, especially in the US. And uh, they, they certainly did in the trailer. They didn't avoid him. To me, he was seemingly comfortable on screen. You know, he uh, radiated sort of fair power in these quick takedowns. And he had an emotional arc as well and needed to act, uh, act. Uh, you know, he needed to emote, literally. But but he also had, I mean, I'm the worst person to talk of action choreography, really. And I come back to the same sort of remark that, there's power here, but there's also fury and uh, intensity and aggression that he also responded to. And regardless of this, is 
at all Taekwondo on screen that I wouldn't know because I have no idea what Taekwondo looks like. Regardless, uh, he is that sort of fourth character that makes an imprint, an impact in the movie through these, uh, you know, basic dramatic beats, but also that is the fire and the fuel for the action. And I think uh, you, you leave the movie thinking he also wanted to kick the shit out of the Japanese at, at the end of the movie. You know, he meant it to a degree. And um, that's a good grade for a Kung Fu movie. You believe these characters wanted to beat the ever-living crap out of their oppressors. And that included him because uh, his friend had been uh, through hell, you know, in the case of Andrew Morgan and things like that. So so uh, what's your take on him uh, as this one-time actor and uh, on-screen fighter? And could, could you uh, spot that, aha, that's Taekwondo or... Uh, you don't have an eye. You don't have an eye for what Taekwondo looks like on screen anymore. When they there's a scene um, early on after they leave the church and they go to his school slash resistance base, and uh, the characters of Mary and uh, uh, Carter Huang's character are there, and they're they're doing some training. the The forms there, you know, are, are very familiar and in kind of indicative of. You know, if you've ever done any Taekwondo training and I haven't done a lot, I just, you know, did it for a couple months and then I moved on to, to other things. But it's it's that sort of very hard, sort of rigid form or, you know, that that you're going to be doing. So that's all very familiar when they get into the the fights, though. It's um, it's a little bit harder to spot. It looks, you know, you, you're seeing film fight choreography. I think anybody who studied martial arts will tell you that. The, the kind of forms you're doing um, when you're training, it, that stuff doesn't always dynamically equate to looking good on screen. So you have to take a lot of liberties um, with things. And I and this gets back into your points on, you know, the, the idea of the, the visceral power that gets emanated as it gets put on screen because it gets changed for camera angles and, and for, you know, power effects and things like that. Uh, what was your impression of him uh, as this one screen, uh, what one-time screen fighter? Then? I I think you know he he's a little stiff at times, um, not seeming sure of himself as an actor. But I think when it comes time for him to do um, the the physical part, he handles it very very well. I was reminded for some reason of um, um, the Chinese martial artist. Uh, what's his name? Uh, da, 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 da. You know, from the Donnie Yen movie, uh, Iceman, and uh, yeah, Wang Baochang. Um, so if, if you've seen his films, uh, Wang Baochang out of China, where he, you know, obviously Iceman 3D, not a great film. All right, you were talking of the new one. I was like, uh, there's only one Iceman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kung Fu Jungle and and some of the other films, because he does comedies, but he does uh, he does martial arts films, and he's a really good martial artist. And he's but but he's small. He's like Master Junior. He's, he's he's small, but he's able to effectively emanate power on screen despite his size. And so that's the kind of the kind of feeling I was getting when watching uh, this film. So I, I think that that was all hand, handled very very well. And uh, he's you know he's got the moves. He's got the physique. He's shirtless and and, and a couple shots. There's a thing at the end where he kind of uses a chain uh, to get out of bondage to great effect so um, there's some creativity thrown in there as well and again i came away really really enjoying it yeah for sure i mean i, I you're not wrong there he's not necessarily 
this acting find but the closer you get to to the physicality of it all you know especially when he's uh, captured mid movie and all of that and that's a combination of physical and acting stuff so that merging uh, felt uh, adequate uh, for uh, for sure he he was part of that sort of quartet I suppose of um, characters that uh, I came away uh, thinking they were appealing and that obviously extends to Angela who you know she she had a tendency to just being able to bless a movie with uh, with, with intensity and fury and uh, you know and, and aggression as I said and uh, no wonder she became and still is a fan favorite uh, this weekend's these co-host uh, King Who uh, now and again stalks her a little bit because she works she works and owns a restaurant in New York so he's never gone up to yeah. speak to her but he's always like I'm at the restaurant where Angela Mao is I didn't say anything but I was there <laughs> I saw her and uh you know, I, I don't know if you ever formed like this huge opinion over, but you, you always came away thinking that she kicked a lot of hard butt on screen. You know, in Lady Whirlwind, she kicks the ever living ever living crap out of Samo. It turns him into a bloody pulp. That, that's the concept for that choreography in Lady Whirlwind, and the same in Hapkido. But uh, other, other people make uh, impressions too, and. Uh, it, it's not about intricate choreography, but uh, again, the, the the beatings and the beating the crap out of people with intensity, with aggression, that comes off so well. There's only select moments where you can see that uh, it, it looks rehearsed and they're lining up stunts and falls through breakaway tables and, and, and the likes. But, you know, considering so, so much the, that is done right here, there's uh, precious little to complain about, including from... Angela's side and I, I love that she um, she has a confidence about her she's not helpless uh, and that makes us like her that she situations like in the restaurant where she takes on like a dozen or more characters and just levels the place le- levels them and levels the place I suppose that is signature sequence uh, signature sequence for her because she uh, has that as I said confidence and uh, she's fearless and uh, likable because of it um, and I don't know if it had been a while since the, well that's probably not true you, you had Cheng Pei Pei over at Shaw Brothers and various other females that were fighting females but uh, that had felt that had fallen out of favor at least at Shaw Brothers for a little while from female heroes to male heroes that had changed a little bit but so I don't know if this is part of the resurgence again of uh, female-led uh, kung fu movies but uh, regardless it's uh, entirely appealing to have her here and if it's the best one i don't know I, I, she never left a bad impression really in her in her movies hapkido lady whirlwind and uh, and this but uh, that, that that restaurant sequence is signature stuff if you want if you want to show angela mao uh, kicking butt on screen that's uh that's dynamic and powerful if uh, if there ever was if there ever was one such scene to single out that is the one uh, just a quick side note um, on her filmography. Have you watched uh, the new remaster of uh, Fate of Lee Khan? No, it hasn't been released yet. Uh, it's uh, about to come out in a month or two in okay. uh, in the UK on Blu-ray. Uh, but uh, I've, I've seen it a couple of times because it, it was remastered for DVD and uh, it released, released in Japan, but that print was put on German DVD. So I've seen it DVD remastered a, a couple of times. Uh, that was a King Who movie, so it felt very much like a 
King Who movie and not a Sammo Hung-led choreography-wise basher or anything. But uh, it was, I, I think it's great. And, uh, and, and she's part of that sort of character gallery that slowly gets revealed who is on whose side who is in disguise who is against Lee Khan who is not and all of that so uh, it, it's cool to see because it's a merger of the King Who sort of stock company and the Golden Harvest stock company you know I know that I think the Blu-ray has been released over here um, but um, I've been debating because it's up in the $20 range but Amazon has an HD version of it listed at six ninety nine. I don't know if it's the same print or not so I'm I've been like hesitant if I should pull the trigger or just get go ahead and get the Blu-ray. Well, I don't know if what audio they put on the stream. Who knows if they put a remix only on the stream? I'm sure it's more on the disc, but um, and and the UK Blu-ray will be that too. But um, it's a recommended movie if you like the King Who style, but it's not when Taekwondo strikes in style. <laughs> Definitely not. But 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 otherwise, any general thoughts on Angela? If uh, she has left a favorable impression, or if you uh, after this movie or before? Oh, most definitely. I mean, I, I, she was never somebody who I really made a point to track down again, in part because uh, a bulk of her work is in the seventies and availability is, has typically been an issue. Um, I, you know, I do have some of her stuff that came out in the joy sales re-release, but uh, she's not somebody that I've actively tracked down. Um, just because it's, again, it's a genre that I've kind of always, uh, pushed to the side, but as we were doing the watch of this and doing some research, you mentioned, um, I did want to see if she'd done anything outside of this kind of, you know, angry young female revenge martial artist kind of genre. So he picked a movie, Naughty Naughty. <laughs> yes. so I picked a movie. I said, Naughty Naughty. Okay. This is a, a, uh, I think it's a 1974 film led by Sam Lee and Nora Mao, uh, sorry, Sam Hoy and Nora Mao. And she's listed um, a little bit further in on the credits, I think like in the, in the fourth listing or so. So I thought, you know, okay, this looks like it's going to be silly, crazy urban comedy. And maybe this will be a little bit of a different role for her. And, um, you know, watching the movie, watching the movie, hour in, no Angela Mao. Okay, wait, 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 is this a misprint? Is she not really in it? And, the last, literally the last five minutes of the film, she Grew shows up. you, little uh, <laughs> You know, and, and is she doing something different? I don't want to spoil it, but not really. Um, it is kind of, it is kind of uh, cute the way they work her in. She's credited as Angela Mao. The character is called yes. Angela Mao. So uh, talk about laziness. Or is it like a meta, <laughs> meta thing? Like, oh my God, it's the actress and she actually can fight. Oh, or it's or, or it's a character. Kind of what they're. That's what that's no. That's what they're doing. Yeah. It's the meta thing. <laughs> right. Two hours of Law Away or Sorry. ninety minutes of Law Away. I don't care. I hate that director anyway. Mm. So uh, like uh, the only good Law Away movies is thanks to uh, other other people. But maybe Angela Mao, nor Sam Hoy, could save that. I mean, you had Sam Hoy songs. You you said to me there were plenty of Sam Hoy songs, but maybe but but you uh, you confided to me that even that got boring after a while. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's just like a, a long, extensive shot of him on stage singing. And I love Sam Hoy, but it was not very exciting. Don't make it dynamic. Don't, don't, don't put on the camera and leave. <laughs> do you have an evening concert? Yes, I do. Well, we'll, we'll put the camera here and uh, we'll read the race, uh, race magazines and uh, you do your thing. One of the other points, though, that I did want to raise about this film that I think is also indicative of the time period. And, you know, if you're somebody who 
has stuck with Hong Kong cinema throughout the decades that you don't see anymore is that uh, 70s film, Sexy Time, no big deal, right? It's just a scene and it's there and it's still a film. Uh, and you probably would not get away with that today without a Category 3 rating. Yeah, pretty much a good gig for uh, Wang and Chick. He gets to fight and he gets to um, enjoy the sexy time a little bit. Yeah. As the Korean fight and fondle. That's uh... indeed. Uh, so uh, hopefully you didn't watch that during uh, during uh, kitty playtime in the living room. No. Like, oh my god, oh my god, Ken did it say anything about this? Here, Heroes of the East, no problem. I, exactly. Like, you know, that one, that one was that was that was fine to be on. But this one, yeah, this was a late night. Because I had not seen it, and uh, it was a good thing. So it was a PG kung fu movie, for heaven's sake. Uh, Heroes of the East, really. Some of my final notes. Uh, speaking of the director Wong Fung, uh, you know he he wasn't known for exploring deep themes, but and I, I can't like say, well, this was his style, and this was what it was good for. No, he he um, could do any movie at Golden Harvest, really. I mean, he was a go-to director, especially for these early once and uh, he land, managed to sort of land and cement memorable moments working with his crew using the strengths of each department you know ma- making these movies uh, memorable as uh, as action pieces but obviously he could do wuxia he did angry river which i believe has some horror elements into it. there's monsters and crap in that which made it very compelling do, obviously doing a, a period kung fu movie like this even though it's a little bit more modern but he also did uh, like movies like like naked comes to huntress which indeed features a naked huntress, if you will. So he did movies with boobs, too. And yet only 14 films in that filmography. But when I think Wong Fong, I always think um, that it was way, a way more extensive director. But um, it was limited, but he delivered for, um, for Golden Harvest. And um, apparently not considered, or maybe just busy, when the Bruce Lee movies... Uh, came about and uh, and golden harvest trusted low way after that first one um in a much more distinct way but um he was uh, the man behind several of these um, angela mao carter wong wang in chick uh, movies so um um and some my final uh, notes on the uh finale i suppose uh we, 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 which are not extensive but i i do love the added power and perhaps the highlight of how, you know how can you elevate powerful Paul? Well, you have a character whose signature move is headbutting. I I, I told you that some moments moments look soft every now and again. This doesn't look soft. I'm sure it was nicely faked, but it's um, I believe it's Chan Chun, which is the other action director who plays one of the Japanese, and his signature moment is headbutting men and women, and I think it looks excellent you just go wow kung fu is powerful and awesome you know it, it, it makes you feel like a kid again when this just comes at you like that and it, it's terrific action direction obviously and i just hope that sam wasn't as hellbent on physical contact when it came to choreographing headbutts because um that's just bad news written all over it if uh, it that it that hits as hard as it uh, comes off on screen but uh, it it's it's part of the increasing fury i suppose of the ending that uh, just lands the movie in this appealing uh, appealing territory that um, and everybody get, gets a showcase i guess i don't remember much of what Carter Wong did though he made Master Junry angry. Okay, there, there <laughs> That's you are. That's pretty much there all he did, yeah. I mean, I like Carter, but it's not always that he comes off as, wow, Carter's here. 
movies five out of five now sometimes uneven you know but um, i'm sure it did well and uh corresponded to the choreography but i can't in my mind now extract Carter Wong highlights necessarily it's it's Angela it's June Rhee it's when Wang and Chick enters and it's Chan Chun's uh, headbutts that looks uh, fantastic yeah so I'll, I'll I'll leave it to you if you want to share anything about uh, the finale do you think they like is it uh, a finale that is more intense versus what was in the movie before and therefore is a proper finale in that regard it's supposed to be even more angry and furious and aggressive by the time the finale hits I think I think it again Given who you see set up as villains and and the number of villains, given that this is kind of a showcase for Master Junri, it it builds to this somewhat predictable ending, you know, with who's facing off against who, and uh, but but I, it it maintains a certain dynamic that I think works really really well. The one thing that I liked was that um, the character of Mary, she's not a good fighter, and they they kind of have her do some initial fights and she's okay, you know, but you know, she's still a fairly, fairly new student low on the totem pole and her skills are not that great. So she gets the smack beat out of her in a lot of the fights that she's in and even up going towards the end. And I thought what was going to happen was that, you know, she was going to, they were going to have her discover like her second wind or, you know, a mystical move or something. And and she was going to, kind of become overpowering by the end, but they didn't. They they kind of said, no, this is the level that this character's at, and this is how the fight's going to progress. So I think they held true to sort of the characters as they, they're presented, and, and the same with sort of Carter Wong's character. And Angela Mao, I mean, she's 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 a badass. <laughs> you just can't, you can't say it in any other words than that, and, and that's great. And she... Uh, pretty much carries a lot of the film. Um, and I, But I think the way that they, again, sort of have a bit of divergence at the ending works equally fine. Um, so I really liked it. Yeah, it's a nice spread of uh, a variety of fights and fighters, uh, not just one-on-one for 10 minutes, uh, like the only two characters left one-on-one. They, they, they um, switch it up, which is uh, quite nice. You know, it's both one-on-one and two-on-one. And uh the uh, the speed and fury to all of this is uh, is admirable for 1973, and uh, so kudos to Sam and everybody working in tandem, I suppose. Uh, and as for availability of uh, when Taekwondo strikes, uh, Joy Sales put out a VCD and DVD in Hong Kong. It uh, used an older, quite rough print, but would have been sufficient for the prices that those DVDs were 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 at when they came out. Uh, but as Paul said, it uh, seems to be out of circulation now. And if you find it, I think it's going to be quite expensive uh, secondhand. Uh, reportedly, a better transfer was in the Shout Factory Angela Mao DVD collection, but a friend of mine told the Mandarin audio was remixed only, and Fortune Stars remixes usually are not that good, and the English dub was even out of sync, so the quality control wasn't that good. What we watched was a custom subtitled version using the French DVD, and they put out a double bill with this and Hapkido, but uh, there was no English subtitles originally on that DVD. Uh, it's, a, it's a remastered print that looks um, uh, nice and sharp, it has some some evidence of like permanent yellow stains, or whatever damage you would classify that as, but uh, still it looks um, uh, brighter than the uh, the older print I've seen. Uh, the, the older print is darker and a little bit more dull. The, that French DVD is actually out of print still. Uh, but the US box set is in print if you want to pick it up. I'm, I'm sure it's fine to watch. But uh, I just wanted to give you a heads up that um, the specs aren't uh, necessarily 
necessarily what uh, I would have wanted. Uh, remix only is not necessarily uh, acceptable, but that US box set also includes uh, the likes of Broken Oath, the Himalayan, but uh, if, if you want to get it, uh, uh, despite its availability <laughs> being there, it's, it's a bit overpriced currently, so, uh, you know, check if prices vary a little bit, but uh, you, you should be able to get your hands on the US box set. There is a more readily available edition from the UK from the label Medium Rare, but a friend of mine literally called them an incompetent company so who knows it might be a port of the us dvd and uh, how they executed that uh, audio so um uh, so it, it, it's a bit hard i mean I, i'm i'm not going to speak for all of you in terms of what, what your standards should be i'm just giving you a heads up that uh, the execution of audio and the likes uh, might or might not have been as uh, good as you should expect logically you know remix only is um, is a bullcrap in this uh, day and age. So, But uh, hopefully you can get it. In the meantime, we're going to take a promo break. And uh, after that, we're going to talk of Heroes of the East, our other Chinese versus Japanese movie in this versus episode. And um, this is different. This is not the template of when Taekwondo strikes. And um, no wonder it feels different, because it comes from a filmmaker that um, made films and not just uh, Kung Fu. So uh, we'll uh, check it out. It's by Lau Ga Lung and it's uh, from 1978 called Heroes of the East. And uh, after the promo break, we'll be back to discuss it. If you like westerns, comedies, foreign films, horror movies, action adventure and classic cinema... Well, we don't have much of that, but if you like ass, titties, farting, burping, puffy nipples, poop, taboo porn, muffin tops, comic books, wrestling, mustaches, pies smashed on butts, cheese, taking baths, butt sex, gagging, milk, and the American flag, check out the Silva and Gold podcast. We're the morons your mom warned you about while she was sitting on your face. Silva and Gold. We talk about movies and shit. Find us on iTunes or silverandgold.com. And welcome back in the second review of this versus episode. You know, Japanese and Chinese versus each other is the theme, I suppose. And the second movie that Pofistorian Jay Lee picked for us is Heroes of the East from 1978. And plot from the Foyce Films review of the film, and I didn't mention this before, but this movie is also known as Shaolin Challenges Ninja. But the plot goes as follows. A wealthy Chinese man, the character of Ho To, played by Gordon Liu, is persuaded by his family to marry a Japanese woman, played by Misuno Yuko, who he had never met. Uh, so uh, an arranged ceremony is uh, looming. And after initial annoyance, he finally meets her. And uh, when enchanted by her beauty, happily goes along with uh, the marriage. A wedded life starts off well for the newlyweds, and appear, there appears to be no clash of culture between them. Unfortunately, the status quo is unsettled when the man objects to the harsh and aggressive martial arts style that his wife passionately practices. During their argument about which country has the better martial art, Japan or China, the wife is uh, soundly beating in a sparring match and uh, travels back to Japan. He doesn't beat her up or anything, she's beaten. Uh, persuaded to send a letter explaining the roots of all martial arts, uh, the jilted husband is shocked to find out that his good intentions have been misconstrued as a challenge to the Japanese. A team of Japanese fighters, master of different disciplines, therefore arrive at the home of their perceived threat and decide to prove once and for all 
whose martial arts are better china or japan's china's or japan's so um there's no background as such uh, directed by lao gala shaw brothers uh, director of 36 chamber of shaolin and so forth so let's move into uh a brief opinion so i'll throw it over to you paul uh, this must have been a um, a rewatch for you this heroes of the east oh yes so many rewatches for this um let me let me just get get this out in the front this is hard for me to review um and so take anything i say with a, a you know a grain of salt listeners because this is a personal favorite of mine it is my absolute favorite lao ka long film and it is very much in my probably my top 10 of favorite all-time Hong Kong films. Thing, things like a top 10 list always fluctuate for me, but this is one that has remained um, a favorite among mine uh, for a long time. Lau Ka Lung of Shaw Brothers direct, directors and martial arts directors has long been my favorite. I like his style. I like his sensibilities. And he was, and he was a storyteller. He was a genuine storyteller. He wasn't this kung fu guy and who just patched together stuff and uh we had to wait for the good stuff in between the boring bits like it was like almost a complete filmmaker and for me i mean it's this film probably legendary weapons of china next because i really like when he plays with lots of different styles and techniques in a film and then underneath those it's probably everything he's done with karahoy as a lead ladies the boss made paul fox buy a bmx bike (laughs) true story in his 30s i don't know that's right yeah (laughs) um I mean, it's it's just got so much going, and, and there's such a positive message behind it all, which is really a contrast for a lot of, I mean, even if we compare this with When Taekwondo Strikes, you know, it's it's kind of an outlier of a film in the message that it's trying to put out there. And it's really the message of martial arts in general. If anybody's, you know, studied martial arts, it's it's not usually about school rivalry. I mean, that, that does exist, but really it's always been about you know, sharing and exchange of knowledge and, and those kinds of ideas. And I think that he really, you know, latches on to a, a lot of those core ideas and brings them to the front here in a way that's funny, it's entertaining, and, and it's humorous. And it's, it's just got, you know, so much going for it. There are some things that I can pick apart at, and we'll get to some of that a little bit later. Um, but it's just been such a favorite of mine over the years. As I said, it's, it's really kind of, hard for you as a listener to take anything i say to heart without watching it yourself does your history therefore go back to when you had to watch this cropped only or was your first viewing in fact when the remastered dvd came out oh no i saw this way back in the day um cropped viewing just you know um it's it's nice that this has gotten a much better treatment over the years um the celestial release was was definitely a blessing uh, I think, as you'll mention in availability, there is a Blu-ray release, but, you know, it's kind of not out there for the world, unfortunately. But, you know, that looks fantastic nonetheless. Um, it's just a shame that they can't give this a little bit more love internationally. Uh, it's uh, it's at least, at the, very, uh, at the very least, it's out on digital platforms widely, but uh, we'll certainly get to that. Uh, fairly agree. I mean, as one review essentially stated, it's a family-friendly kung fu film. But nevertheless, it's exhilarating. And uh, in terms of kung fu, and it doesn't hold back in terms of uh, that. So it's not like, like it's not a comedy, and therefore it's family friendly. Like it has plentiful kung fu and intense kung fu. 
Uh, but it's not school, as Lao, Ga- Lao Galung has characters argue the merits of Chinese and Japanese martial arts, because, because it's very accessible what they're talking about, and it's a very entertaining display of first verbal and then physical banter, without the need to inject awkwardly kung fu into it. And then structurally, Lao Galong just nails it as Gordon faces off against various masters of their particular style. And that means Paul will get variation, will get creativity. Why am I telling you this? You know this. But, but what, what we get is creativity and, and a good-hearted message about how you deal with, among other things, you know, culture clash. But also, this um, you have to open your eyes and ears a little bit to, to martial arts and... Um, don't and, and like stop that judgment or like we're we're number one kind of uh, kind of um, attitude I suppose, uh, uh, which is not a nice way to summarize it, but it's in there. Regardless, uh, the point is you you learn and you must learn as, as a person and a practitioner. Uh, and also, I uh, got some stats for for you all. Kind of a spoiler, but I got some stats nonetheless. Uh, body count uh, zero, blood count drop uh, one. That's about right, Paul. Yeah, and that's fantastic. For films of this period, it's it's simply fantastic. If you're used to Chang Chia's character like being gutted and then tying up their their intestines and then fighting for twenty minutes and killing eight thousand people in the process, this is uh, different. And boys, we we don't miss any bloodbath for sure. Let's say your kid is um, a couple of years older and being able to uh, uh, read movies a little bit better. Would you show your kid Heroes of the East? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and even though there's some there's some a little bit of TNA in the beginning for comedic effect, it's done very tastefully. It's very funny. And yeah, I, I like I said, I've seen this many times when I was watching it, I was headed on the big TV and kids were coming in and out of the room. I had, you know, no problem with it being on there. Ken hasn't uh, <laughs> like uh, sent me a movie with uh... Uh, with adult themes in disguise or anything. Now, now, now Paul knew uh, what to, what to do, what he dealt with. Um, not that Lao Ga Lung as a filmmaker, like, uh, like he had tropes in his films, of course. You know, he had training films, or revenge films, and uh, Shaolin films. And he did a Wong Fei Hong movie or two. You know, Challenge of the Masters and Martial Club and what have you. But it was all, always, you know, except for his very first. Spiritual boxer, which was a bit ropey, but still it presented new elements uh, with spirit boxing and uh, hints at the supernatural. But my point is, there was almost out of the gate, Paul, this expert sort of kung fu thinker that translated his thoughts into cinema and then brought the already established kung fu choreography experience that he had for working for Shaw Brothers and other people it became like an accelerating package on variety of levels. I mean, I, I, I can almost say that Challenge of the Masters remains my favorite Lao Ga Lung movie. I can also pick that apart a little bit, but I don't know if you remember much from it offhand, but it had a, it's dramatic punch to word, but it, it, had a, it, it had a subtle touch to a variety of sequences, even a non-verbal touch to, to it that dealt more with, it was more humane and not bloodthirsty as the movie went on and it wasn't it wasn't awkward Paul the way he uh, communicated uh, drama and uh, philosophy and morals and ethics and you, you can see that in a, in a variety of movie, but movies but of course he he made funny movies too and uh, made uh, you know had iconic scenes and iconic images and broke iconic actors in the case of Gordon Liu 
you would think that even though he didn't write his movies necessarily, that this is credited to for you know always writing <laughs> uh, screenplays during this time. Uh, Iquang or Nikuang, you know, this was his script. But I always got the impression I don't know how you feel about it that Lao Gaolong himself he, he was thinking. He, he wasn't just this kung fu guy for hire who simply was blessed to receive these scenarios and therefore the classic movies. It, it seems to come from him, uh, especially this movie. Or do you have any take on that? Yeah, I think so. We previously talked about uh, the Yun clan film, The Miracle Fighters. And I think they are kind of, you know, in the 80s, an extension of a lot of what Lao Garland was doing in the 70s in that, as I mentioned with that film, I think what you have here is you have somebody who's a master of his craft and his team are, you know, made up of various uh, experts in, in stunt work and, and martial arts. And they know it so well that they no longer need to show just the physicality of it. They can play, they can experiment. And I think that's one of the things that he does so very well, um, particularly in, in this film but you see that, too, in other films that we've talked about. Uh, he was, I think, the director for Aces Go Places 5, which we previously talked about. And I remember there's a scene in there, which I think we mentioned, that has uh, the characters using traditional martial arts weapons against European weapons. You know, and, and so, again, here, too, he's interested in that kind of interplay between different types of styles, different types of weapons, you know, although I would say this film, it does take a little bit of a sort of Chinese superiority position. I think later on it's, you know, he's a little bit more, you know, even handed in, in saying there are advantages and disadvantages to styles across the board. Um, I mean, that's the intended structure, though, right? Or do you think he, he's pushing that too far in terms of Chinese superiority? Uh, because he, he, he correctly, he evens it out by the end, you know. I think, you know, it's Gordon Liu's character, Hoto, is, he's a bit arrogant, he's a bit cocky. He has to win, so, you know, there there is that going for it. I do feel a little bit of the bias, but it still doesn't detract from the film for me. Yeah, it seems a little bit dickish at points. Even that letter is just, you know, it's not diplomatic, the letter he sends to Japan. Uh, you know, he's trolling them a little bit, just uh, asking for trouble, <laughs> really. Uh, but uh, you know, I I, I think I noticed that his um, the, the the way that character pushed was uh, borderlining on him being unlikable. But it it never really became problematic when Lao Galung started evening it out and making the characters learn through uh, through the experience. I, I think it all plays uh, well with each other. Those uh, contrasts. It all is a setup for a romantic comedy, really. It it isn't itching to be a kung fu movie, you know. So the arranged marriage, like like he 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 gets us going before the credits with uh, with Gordon Liu, like trying to fake his uh, that he has a fever and uh, he he's afraid that she's ugly, and when she's not, it's all like, hey, she's not ugly. Everything <laughs> is awesome, <laughs> you know. So he's not uh, he's not a subtle male in that regard. Uh, so. Um, she has, uh, he says at one point in the subtitles that she has a runny nose, which sounds like it's like an oddly translated derogatory term or something. It's, uh, but regardless, <laughs> they, they, everything turns out well. She's a beautiful woman. So hurrah for marriage life, married life. <laughs> then Lao Galong starts 
building on that structure and there's verbal banter of course but when uh, and, and and also in the wedding sequence that the movie sort of not threatens but it it, it uh, talks about uh, that she's wearing white to the wedding and that's uh, not a good luck color to wear at the wedding and she doesn't bow in front of her her father-in-law either she, uh, she she doesn't kneel rather but she bows yes and maybe she's in the in the right to make that choice i don't know but my, my point is also that the characters communicate that the, the surrounding characters communicate what's going on so we're not out of the loop in terms of what is going on at the ceremony and all of that so it's not making a furl fairly like alienating local movie for those of us who don't know what's going on then he starts crafting like the comedy of misunderstandings as uh, people think uh, Gordon Liu is beating his wife but as a matter of fact you know she's uh, training and uh, then you know Lao Galong starts to sort of naturally inject kung fu choreography in this in, which which is so far from half from, like shoehorned in and half-fisted as you can come like the, it's so wonderful to see his camera capture her demonstrations in the courtyard. Uh, the, the camera capture, captures it all, but it isn't static, Paul. Like it it uh, does, you know, 180s around her and is very graceful as she is graceful. And uh, then picks key moments for slow motion as well, which I think, uh, you know, it, it just makes it feel so masterful and effortless the way they, this team and him. Uh, think of their camera work and their edits and the points where to emphasize and this is so to say merely a demonstration sequence i'm talking about but it's an assurance early on in the movie that it's on the right track yeah indeed i think too that you know again it it's action just it it's so full of action because you have basically the Gordon Liu character matching up uh, later in the film with seven different masters. So you get, you're getting like 14 different styles in total because you've got the Japanese style and then him coming with a new style to try and, you know, uh, counter that style so that he can, he can make his way through these, you know, the, this challenge as it were. Um, and just so much creativity, um, both in terms of the martial arts itself, but also in terms of the film techniques being used, because it's never dull. It's never, you know, you you have these different styles, and the camera work has to compensate, you know, to to show these in the best light at the best angles and and using the best film techniques of the era. And I never, even I've seen this so many times, I never feel bored in any of it uh during a rewatch so and i i just remember if you're thinking about it that arthur wong has talked about working at shaw brothers uh, back in the day famed cinematographer arthur wong and he was indeed the credited cinematographer on um, on heroes of the east you know uh, what do you want to say in terms of you know the verbal banter that is also physical banter between gordon Liu and his uh, japanese co-star uh, misuno yuko is it entertaining and even funny and hilarious the way they bicker and they challenge each other physically and argue intensely about the merits of each style and uh, therefore we get a view of each style you know for for instance gordon liu demonstrates this uh, sort of a sort of female chinese kicking or blocking technique where he at one point steps on her 
clothing and or foot and therefore stops her, stops her in her tracks like this and and this is part of the sort of sort of verbal and physical banter between them which if you know also your kung fu comedies loud banter comedic banter is not what hong kong kung fu comedies did well necessarily you know so uh, how does it come off as here uh, her and gordon uh, square off both verbally and physically for me it's great i mean i'm i'm a fan of the romantic comedy genre and mixing this in with sort of the martial aspect i really really liked i could have had more of it and i think it you know one of the one of my disappointments if if that's the probably too strong a word to use with the film is that um, actually their relationship kind of uh, gets pushed to the back by the latter half of the film you know that, that that there's a there's a very particular sticking point right at the end that I'll talk about maybe a little bit later but I think in you know that intro when you're learning about her and she's out practicing in the yard and you know she's very rough and brusque and, and she's demol- she's demolishing that yard <laughs> non ladylike and then you know he comes in and says no no this is you know uh, Chinese female martial artists have to use feminine style and and you know use goat stances and and these kinds of things. They, I think it, I think it, it works so well, and there's a really good chemistry between the two of them. Even though I think I don't think you know she's speaking Chinese on set. I, I, you know, it, it's hard to tell lip reading wise um, with the dub, but um, it still you know despite that, there's there's a strong sense of chemistry between the two of them. Um, that I think works really well for me. And I just wanted to see a bit more of it. He's focusing on the setup and evolving the two of them, leading towards the more intense action stretches. So and we also get familiarized with uh, a variety of weapons, which is not ham-fisted either, as her crate of uh, weapons arrive and Lao Galong takes the time to identify the various Japanese weapons by name uh, on screen. You know, you get a little get a little ding this is the name of that weapon it's a slight echo of what he would do in legendary weapons of china as him and uh, lao gawing uh, tick off the various weapons during the finale of uh, of that film i suppose it's fresh to a degree that she is uh, taking command and crafting her world and they're favoring her training even though she's kind of reckless in terms of uh, wrecking statues and punching through walls just because i'm training but you know she's not helpless and she's she can speak her case she can argue her case that uh, this is what i believe and, and yeah w- when people bicker sometimes it becomes a bit childish like i'm the best no i'm the best i'm, I'm the best so it becomes that dynamic too but i think that's a natural they they develop uh, characters well because I think we when we have nothing else in terms of uh, what's in the argument bank then it becomes then it becomes like me no me me no me and uh, you know China yes Japan no Japan yes China no they give her something therefore she's not uh, cast for her martial arts skills or her looks only but but as you said she's a bit um, pushed back in the narrative as Gordon has to take on so many of the masters i suppose but you're right in noticing that but then again i didn't notice it i was enjoying what the priorities of storytelling and theme through action was about by that point i guess uh thanks to laugh along execute executing like he does then um you don't mind i suppose that uh, 
she's pushed to, pushed to the wayside a little bit and Yasuaki Kurata comes to the forefront and um, and all of that but um, it's it's still refreshing the way they the way they develop those two and uh, my I found it all entertaining but my one laugh out loud moment comes when out of the blue it's almost in a montage form it, they 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 come running out of on the balcony and weapons in their hands and they they are they, it's almost like it's eight o'clock in the morning husband and wife are fighting already again <laughs> no <laughs> it's like out of control every day the same thing like ding 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 weapons 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 so i thought that was the the hilarious bit that uh it's almost like they, they, they could have put a thing on screen like day 20 day 25 and the same thing is going on and on and on on and on and on how, how are, we go, are we gonna deal with this so um and i'm glad by the way you, you haven't mentioned like the obvious obvious thing of uh the, the obvious distraction of this movie gordon Liu with hair <laughs> yeah well i didn't know if i should say something but it, it's there <laughs> because i don't think he grew out that hair at that point after he shaved it for 36 chamber that's that stayed shaved for a while and whatever movie required hair they put a put a rug on him but um it's unusual but uh, at least it doesn't uh, flail about the place as he uh, as he engages in the action you know but uh, it's a it's a look for him that uh, that uh, takes some time to get to get used to what else should we talk about? Talk about because I, I guess it all leads into whatever highlights are in in, in the second half and the structure of it all. So, so I, I guess my spontaneous question, Paul, is: There's a lot of fights here, and uh, is it too packed? Uh, too too? Is it too much stacked on top of each other, and therefore too much to take in uh, for you? Or do you think he spreads out con- conceptually what each fight is about and allow us to take? each in kind of before we transition into the next no not for me i think it does a nice job of you know pacing it out i mean the the rule that they establish is that he's going to have to face one master uh each day and even though one of the masters you know tries to not break the rules but you know he pushes the envelope a little bit which you know is fair i think that the, the pacing of that you know does show um uh, some 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 fairly good storytelling. Like I said, I never really feel bored, even on rewatches with any of this. Um, and they throw a lot in there, even even outside of his fights with the masters. You know, the director himself gets a cameo at one point, which is you know a callback to you know other famous films of of, of the time, we might say, and you know a very kind of typical training montage sequence. You know, they had the famous drunken master in this movie, but. It's not him that gets to play the famous drunken <laughs> master. So uh, because Simon Yun is in this movie, but uh, Master So is indeed uh, Lao Galong uh, in in his cameo. And I actually wanted to mention that because it it brings back that that memory. That one of the foul memories of kung fu comedy is that so precious few did it well, especially when they were just mimicking characters and content from way better movies. Uh, especially when it came to featuring a drunken master. It just seemed like they slapped a grey-haired mop on any random young actor, put some torn clothes on him, and you're a drunken master, and we're going to do kung fu comedy here in the countryside. And normally, it wasn't that exciting. I always thought Lao Galang had a grip on kung fu comedy. Mad Monkey Kung Fu, made around this time, we got this, later My Young Auntie, 
Ladies to Boss uh, must have had some comedy elements, even though it's a modern movie with BMX, BMX riding and all of that. But he never came off as this filmmaker who was just trying to emulate something he wasn't ready for in terms of comedy. And even this sequence, I think, is funny because he, as an on-screen fighter, was also very exhilarating. And his drunken character, which is there for Gordon Liu's character to observe and then utilize in the next fight... Lao Gaolong is uh, it's just fun to watch and exhilarating physically to watch. So it, it's a thought-out sequence rather than this loud, grating sequence. Uh, goes on for 20 minutes. And if you would have watched this dubbed, it would have been high-pitched, shrill dubbing. And it would have been like, oh, almighty, the kung fu comedy genre sucks. But Lao Gaolong never, he never left me with that impression. He had a grip on comedy that felt like above average for for the genre and certainly something to showcase that Shaw Brothers also could do kung fu comedy they were a little bit behind on that but he showcased that uh, I leave it to me I I, I can inject some some fun stuff here so like like what do you you remember in terms of uh, favorable impressions of his more broader kung fu comedies outside of this one like did you like Mad Monkey Kung Fu and uh, and My Young Auntie and the likes yeah, I, like I said, I tended to gravitate to, more towards the stuff with Kara Hoy. I mean, it's hard to find a bad film in his filmography. I do think, you know, some of his later stuff in, in his final years as, in, as a director start to get a little bit repetitive. He never, especially during the Shaw Brothers stuff, the only sort of drops in qualities, even though it's okay, is, is, is spiritual boxer and shadow boxing, I think, which is its sequel, or in name only sequel. Because it's uh, also known as Spiritual Boxer 2. And it's got Wong Yu in it as well. And I, I thought those didn't click. But I watched those knowing that he put out such consistent high quality movies anyway. So, uh, and I mean, Return to the 36 Chamber, for instance. Which I think is a wonderful choice for a sequel to the 36 Chamber of Shaolin. Let's make it about a world where the monk Sante is known, has had an impact, so let's introduce a, a con artist who claims he is or learned from the monk, Sante, and he's an absolute sham, and that's Gordon Liu's character, who then learns staff, um, scaffolding kung fu. And I think it's such a clever choice for a sequel, especially in 1979 or 80, where kung fu comedy has just flooded the market, or, or even uh, training movies with revenge attached to them, akin to the 36th Chamber of Shaolin. So what do we do? Well, scaffolding kung fu? Huh? <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go make it. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think he got a grip on comedy, and these sections in Heroes of the East, uh, they are very much, uh, very much fun. Um, it seems to me, uh, the, considering he intros the various Japanese masters, that he cast genuine masters. Did you get that impression as well? That he cast them for because they were high-rated practitioners of their uh, respective style? Yeah, it seems so. I mean, a, a couple of them do have other, a few other titles in their filmographies, but it seems like they were, you know, people who were of renown whether they were specialists in in the style as presented like you know the the mousy sort of sai style master you know whether that's his claim to fame or not you know i i don't know i don't have that much background research on on the actors themselves but it it does feel that it has that sense of credibility to it and of course you do have 
you know, Karada, who's just an iconic face of Hong Kong cinema you know, in and of itself. Who has never looked better than he does in uh, this movie, I think. And I really, it's sometimes you get a bit numb in terms of the high production values that Shaw Brothers, you expect things to look good. But um, sometimes it hits you just how great these movies can look, but it needs to come from a filmmaker and a, a technical team who is there to to make it look good whether costumes or cinematography and things like that uh, but everybody looks their best in it and then with Lao Ga Long therefore presumably training on screen fighters with not a ton of experience obviously Karata had a ton of experience by this point but it's all the more admirable that it all comes off as seamless and not um, awkward at all it, it's very exhilarating to watch the um, the styles on display, even if you know nothing of it. I mean, I can, of course, identify that uh, it's karate versus uh, drunken boxing at one point. And, uh, but it really doesn't matter. It isn't school, as I said. You don't need to be an expert. You just need to know that it's a versus thing, just like this episode is. Where it's two styles that seem similar may not be similar, but they are suitably paired up. And that's the template for... Lao Galong's creativity and you, you can cite highlights galore but I think I don't think it's unfair to say that they, they're, they're, there's no lows in the choreography either nothing feels extended nothing feels like oh god that concept didn't pan out or it's not too exaggerated either I, I just think uh, he nails pretty much everything here it, it, some concepts are quite specialized for instance when he squares off versus the guy with the size they mostly fight through um through gated uh, like, like doors with uh, bars through them and things like that uh his chinese sword versus his, his opponent's side and i think that's that, that's cool it's executed well it's not um he, he's not uh taking on too many concepts for one movie and failing at one or two it seems like the quality is even throughout and therefore i can't say like oh here are the highlights uh, because it all feels like a hole where you got tons of highlights and it's just exhilarating and fun and uh, surely requires a lot of patience to uh, pull off but if anyone has patience it's a genuine martial arts expert that now is confident at filmmaking as well and that shows off in the, uh, shows up and uh, he gets to show off that in this movie I think, too, the pacing for each of these fights feels really like it's hitting the nail right on the head in that they don't feel too long. They feel just right. And there's a sense, too, that it's not following the traditional sort of dynamic that a martial arts film of this time would have, where even like in the the film When Taekwondo Strikes, there's towards the final fight scene, You've got uh, Angela Mao kicking a lot of butt, and then suddenly she's facing off with the two big bads, right? And then she starts to lose a little bit, right? This is this is this is kind of how the the films of this era would be paced, you know, like the main the main protagonist, he's not quite up to the you know defeating the the, the main villain, so you know he gets beaten up you know, in some cases quite badly. And then suddenly at the last minute, you know, his friend comes in to help him and the two of them go on to, to, you know, to defeat the villain and freeze frame, you know, so it really breaks away from that kind of pacing within the fights. You know, it's, it's highlighting 
the specializations in a very nice way. And, you know, you know that in order to proceed forward, he, he can't lose any of the fights. So that's kind of already predetermined in, in, in a sense. But the creativity that they throw in there, you know, to, to, to make the fights move on, it just feels a lot more fresh than what a lot of fight choreography was doing for this era. So, so for instance, that fight with him versus the, the man with the size, and it takes place, you know, uh, there, the one goes into a door and there's bars or, or wooden bars yeah. in the in those doors. That is not too big of a concept that makes the movie stray for you. You think that's uh, fun to have and uh, well executed? Not at all. And it's 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 you know, it's like each of the fighters has their own quirk too. The, for for whatever reason, the Psy Master feels like he has to embiggen himself. You know, he, I guess he feels short in comparison to Gordon Liu. And so he comes in and he's like sitting on a rickshaw at first, then he like has to stand up on top of it. And then, you know, they go through the fight and they move into like this courtyard with this Buddhist temple. And then by the end, you know, he like hops up on a, a platform, you know, to say, Oh, you've won or something. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's the character quirks like that too, that bring a sense of personality that in another film with a lesser director, they would have just said, "Okay, they fight, and and he loses, and that's it." And 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 also, therefore, you you use the advantages of shooting at Shaw Brothers because you you can uh, craft these uh, little sets to enhance these uh, scenarios that you have come up with. So it's not just outdoor bound and. Uh, and therefore flat the longer it runs uh, and uh, technically and structurally it really works i like that they initially have a fight gordon liu goes to his master simon yun and they have a little conference in terms of what's the next technique i need to use they do that one or two times and then lao galung starts stacking fights upon fights upon fights because we know that in between gordon liu goes to his master and they have discussions about uh, about this and uh, one of my favorite exchanges is actually in probably the last scene where we see Simon Yun where he um, talks about well you know we, we, we can't keep on doing this you know, fight the Japanese all over and over and prove ourselves this is not the cycle of martial arts necessarily it's what we're in now thanks to your dopey letter that you sent to <laughs> sent to Japan but it's fair intelligence for the movie to be a little bit self-critical and uh, talk about how, how we further Chinese martial arts. And that may require some humility, too. And not just, you know, what did you say about my art? Fight now! And then go into that cycle and possibly violent cycle, because uh, this movie doesn't turn violent, but it, it's a recipe for this going overboard. And that, that's fair intelligence that sticks with me it's not um awkward uh awkward content and theme and things like that so um that's uh why i sort of consider lagalong a complete filmmaker because he leaves me with these touches that are either poignant or funny or carries weight thematically and uh, and uh, things like that and um and and no one will complain either when we get a pretty fun depiction of the various deception techniques of ninjutsu and the tools and tricks of the trade and but but done by such an expert team of makers means that this uh, will be fun and dynamic and uh, 
and uh, creative and like the only thing it doesn't do i suppose is uh, crawl underground like uh, like a, like a graboid from tremors or whatever <laughs> uh, but uh, still uh, karata's participation as late as it is fight wise is uh, you know if you were to deem it your favorite fight scene of the movie uh, listener i wouldn't blame you because uh, karata is uh, on top of his game and uh, that's another scenario that just feels fresh for this movie it's not a repeat of the fight from 30 minutes ago or anything in, in the end it has something to say as well but it, but it isn't school it isn't uh, you don't need to take notes and uh, you can just enjoy enjoy the fun of it all because it is fun and not uh, you know stoic just because they're talking about martial arts philosophy uh, or anything like that and um, boy what a happy balance that is you know yeah, and I would add too, if you're somebody who's a fan of films of this era, there's a lot of, you know, cameo spotting that you can do as, as you mentioned, Simon Yun, as one of the sifus of the um, Chinese martial arts school, uh, Li Hoi Sang, I think is one of the students, uh, Norman Chu is also one of the students. And, you know, there, there's a couple other faces that you can spot, um, both actresses and actors. Yeah, you, you, um, those were sort of players that we know from Golden Harvest movies, but they really were around Shaw Brothers and Lao Galung as well. You know, Li Hoi Sang has a, a prominent fight scene or two in Further Six Chamber of Shaolin, so uh, it, it's always fun. You didn't see Eric Tsang in this one. He sometimes popped up in uh, in Lao Galung's uh, movies, uh, but uh, not in this one, for sure. You, you know, anything else you want to say either about karate and then ninjutsu on, on display uh, or what's, uh, what's uh, the rest of your notes like? Any favorite uh, favorite uh, favorite moments? I would say I don't think I'd ever want to learn crab style because that looks kind of exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you, I know you mentioned before, uh, if you wanted to mention or if, if you... Uh, unless you have have already uh, in terms of um, you know leaving her out of the structure uh, was there any uh, because she, she she's a side character she watches all of this and translates for Gordon Liu throughout the movie you know looking back on it did, did you miss her participation or you understood that this is the structure and she's relegated to being uh, you know having these characteristics now she's not supposed to fight anymore yeah, I think by the third act, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, what started as kind of this lover's tiff has escalated into this big this big competition. And she kind of realizes at a certain point, you know, that she's in the wrong, too. And she's actually trying to support, you know, her husband. And, you know, she's telling him a few points about the different masters and their styles and things. But <clears throat> by the last fight, you know, it's like okay, we get to the last fight and then that's done. And then he has to, you know, give a little speech and he has to make up for an offense that happened earlier on. And, and once that, once that's done, it's like, Oh, freeze frame. And I'm like, no. Okay. Cause here's, here's where I think, uh, director Lau Kalang kind of falls back into the Shaw framework. And this is probably my biggest criticism of this film. It's that, you know, this started out as this romantic comedy, about, you know, this dynamic clash of cultures between this married couple. And we never get back to that. Mm. It's like, okay, won the competition and freeze frame, just like in a traditional, you know, uh, beat the villain, flying kick in midair and freeze frame. You know, it's like, no, we, this film deserves an epilogue at, at the very least with, you know, Hoto and his wife, Kongzu, 
again, you know, sort of coming together, you know, in a happy moment or giving her at least uh, uh, something in the final screenshot, I think. I, I can totally see that. I, I think it's satisfactory because of the, the things that are communicated by the end in terms of uh, Gordon Liu understanding more about the Japanese side. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it's not very complex the way Lao Galong communicates this. It's through dialogue, but it's, it, it's impactful enough and it's meaningful and to leave on a freeze frame of that you know and, and a bow a bow of respect and all of that it felt satisfactory but but you're right uh, it wouldn't have hurt to cut to a celebration of sorts i guess back in the house everybody's happy and maybe end on a comedic uh, thing where they i don't know let's make out the end of the movie right now maybe yeah, they, they argue about chinese food versus japanese food. and exactly <laughs> uh, or maybe they uh, they um, in the middle of the night they they go out to the courtyard and uh, do some friendly sparring again and smile towards each other. Not in that like that style that they were doing in the beginning where they were not particularly friendly with each other, but maybe a friendly sort of uh, lead up to a nightly sparring match and then freeze frame on that. This has been a Shaw Brothers production. Was it was it Rocky 3 where you know he gets back in the ring with uh, Apollo Creed right at the end and they spar and it like, Freeze frames right before they both hit each other. I don't remember. Was that the one with? Uh, I was about to say Ice T, uh, Mister T, and Hulk Hogan. Did, did... I think that was four. No, that was that, that was, was it. That was Drago. Was it three? Four was Drago. Four was okay. Yeah, Drago. Dra- that, that, yeah. Well, may, so maybe they were in Mr. T. I don't know. I haven't seen those. The, the one I think it's the one where he in any way Carl the Carl Weathers character becomes the trainer. Yeah, because he die because he dies at the beginning of four. Yeah. yeah, so uh, that, that's, correct, all I, that's all I remember. I haven't seen those in a while. So that, Spoilers! Yeah, whatever. <laughs> haven't even seen Creed and the likes. So, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's um, it's um, signature Shaw Brothers stuff, and um, Kung Fu for the family isn't uh, necessarily a watered down prospect in terms of heroes of these. Heck, I even I even see some depth in the English title of the film. Heroes of the East doesn't necessarily in English anyway, doesn't necessarily say that um, the Chinese over Heroes of the East. Or the Japanese over Heroes of the East. And Shaolin Ch- challenges ninja is more um, well that's gonna happen. I don't know I don't know if that's even accurate to apply to this movie, but that's the English international title of the movie. So um, uh, but uh, regardless, uh, go get it, and you can. You, and you can uh, ask for availability. Therefore, it's part of the Shaw Brothers Library, and Celestial remastered the film for res- a respectable DVD release in Hong Kong. And Dragon Dynasty brought it stateside for official release on DVD as well. So you got a dub on that uh, DVD, presumably. And in the era of uh, high definition and digital, uh, it has been issued on Blu-ray in Japan. Uh, but it doesn't feature any English subtitles though. Uh, but you can rent or buy it on iTunes in the US and it has Mandarin and English dub options in one. So that's a uh, value for money. You can do the same in the UK in terms of uh, specifications, multi-language. And Amazon Prime Video US uh, carries the movie as well for streaming, but only in English. And I personally wouldn't recommend that primarily for this film. Maybe for your second viewing if you're curious of how the English sounded. But it, it's such a good film that start watching it uh, on on its on its actual terms, on its real terms. You know, Mandarin with English subtitles. I think you you would find that uh, 
is a nice way to start and then expand by watching it in english and how people experienced it from the beginning having said that are, are you um you know nostalgic for how this sounded in english and therefore you watched this in english for this viewing or you kept it uh, to the mandarin one that i uh, sent you no i don't think i've ever seen the english dub um not sure i'd want to but you know that's just my you, if you've listened to me for any length of time you know i'm a a sync sound elitist. <laughs> well, well, so. uh, uh, the reason I'm asking is because uh, if you saw it cropped back in the day, I thought maybe you watched it uh, therefore in English back in the day, but maybe. I might have when I was, a, you know, but a wee lad. Right. <laughs> that might have been how I viewed it. But uh, so many viewings since then have um, always been in, in either the Cantor Mandarin dub. So I don't have much memory of how the English dub sounds. And, and, and this is on the verge of... Uh, where his movies started to be Cantonese, but watching it in Mandarin, it looks like most of the cast were speaking Mandarin on set. But it, yeah, it's an, I would agree. Uh, it's un, completely uneducated opinion, but because I had both tracks uh, at my disposal and I looked at some of the lip movements, and it seemed more more sh sounds than anything else from from the uh, participants, including Gordon Liu. So I watched it in Mandarin for this one, and I think the likes of Return to the Thirty Six Chamber that probably a Cantonese film uh, by that point so and it works more for me regardless because it's a comedy so uh, but uh, regardless uh, it's it, these episodes weren't about let's crown you know the champion of this these two movies but uh, for, for more compelling Chinese and Japanese versus Japanese uh, experience and arc I, I would go for Heroes of the East over when Taekwondo strikes but they're a nice double bill, regardless. They're, 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 they're a friendly double bill. You don't need to put uh, one at the bottom of the pile forever and ever because it's it's all compelling to watch Angela Mao kick butt on screen and very much compelling to see how Lao Galang, you know, redefines uh, Kung Fu filmmaking to a degree. So uh, both are very much uh, acceptable. So that's the sort of purpose of this. It's not a cynical series where... One is a champion and one is a piece of poo at the end of the episode. Nope, we're uh, we're keeping it friendly as we as we always do here. So, uh, going back to uh, the previous episodes uh, that we did, the likes of uh, Skyhawk and Master of Kung Fu, uh, have you formed an opinion yourself in terms of what Wong Fei Hong you prefer? Is it Quan Ta King or is it Ku Feng? Um, Quan Ta King all the way. Although I, at the time of this recording, I've not finished a viewing of Skyhawk yet, but I have seen him. You know, in in other roles as in other films as the role of Wong Fei Hong, um, and you know he's just so iconic, uh, you know, doing that. But Master of Kung Fu was a you know it was a nice chance to see a different take on the role. I mean, when you when you were in Hong Kong, did, did you ever like late night channel hopping managers to sort of stumble upon Quan uh, Kin movies late at night, or they they weren't? The... No, absolutely. I mean, a lot of. A lot of the old films will be playing um, late at night or so- sometimes like on Sunday morning when you would go out for dim sum. The restaurants would have, you know, various channels on and there would always be some some old movie, usually not like the old, old black and white ones. Those were relegated to really late at night, um, but usually something from the 80s or the 90s, oftentimes an early Stephen Chow film would be on. Um, so you, you'll always have an opportunity to see stuff like that on TV, but usually it would not be subtitled. So you would be, or at the very least would have Chinese subtitles. 
and the older stuff is, you know, even if you get it, you can find it on disc. Um, some of the older Cathay films and, and things that were released of very, you know, on very cheap, under very cheap titles um, would not have any English subtitle options. So you'd have to brush up on your Cantonese or your Mandarin. Well, sometimes those titles were so uh, descriptive anyway, like Wang Fei Hong bravely crushing the lion formation. So, okay, yeah. okay, that's, that's something about the film, I think. Might have some lion dancing and he's going to crush it at lion dancing. I don't know. Or crush the lion dancer. But, uh, yep, yeah, I've only seen one of them, very, very, uh, the very first one, because someone put fan subtitles on the very, very first Quanta uh, Hing or Wang Fei Hong film. Which ends on a cliffhanger, so it kind of didn't help. <laughs> like I, I haven't finished the story yet. But the interesting thing too is, is if you're somebody who's interested in, in that, you know, if you've already exhausted your viewership of, say, like you know, the Jet Li Wong Fei Hong movies, and you're really looking to move on to something new, um, availability can be an issue. But of course, you can find some stuff on uh, that you know channel that has a Y and a T. <laughs> very famously in the in the in the URL they have a lot of stuff on there i'm not saying it's legal i'm not saying it's not i don't really know but they have a lot of old stuff on there some of it is subtitled a lot of it isn't but it's watchable i mean i was looking for um some of the old uh, uh master q films and you know they got the full movies up there now i don't know how they get away with it but you know if you're like really looking to find something that has next to no availability or may have not, not even been released um, and you just want to watch it and you don't mind if it's not subtitled or not, you know, it's there's so much stuff out there now, it's crazy. Do a deep dive indeed on, on the YT and uh, heck, even on Amazon Prime you sometimes find things that I don't think are supposed to be on there, but um, it's not our fault that it's on there. Yeah, I pay my membership on time. I do as well. So I'm not complaining. Regardless, thank you very much, Paul, for coming on to this uh, versus episode and uh, embracing the, the slightly different format that uh, Jay Lee has uh, set up uh, for us. I really appreciate it. Yes, indeed. Thank you for having me and thank you for the new format, Mr. Lee. And uh, let's finish this one off really quickly. For all your Podcast on Fire network needs, go to the website podcastonfire.com. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify. All relevant links for this episode are in the show post. But uh, you can find all you need on our site, podcastonfire.com, including social media links. So that's us out. So uh, I've been Kenny B and with me uh, was uh, during these uh, early hours of uh, Sunday morning. I appreciate you, you uh, getting up uh, bright and early to discuss uh, these two movies with me, Paul. So thank you very much. Uh, Paul Fox was with us and he's got the last word. Thank you and bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>